Welcome to Dragon Talk. I'm Greg Tito. I'm Shelly Mazanoble. And Why did I just sing that? Because you're really good at singing. Oh my god. Why are you upset now? Yeah. Why? I think I'm just excited about talking to our next guest. Our guest is amazing. Kind of. <laughs> Do you want to no. say who it is? Nope. All right. You're the one who's been practicing saying I will. his name. It's Joe Manganello from nice. Uh, many, many things, but you might know him from True Blood. I do. Uh, he's an actor in Magic Mike. Know him from there, too. But my favorite thing that he's done recently? Yes. The Pee Wee Herman's Christmas <gasps> special. Oh, that was really good, On too. the Netflix. Yeah. So good. We didn't even talk about that with Oh, him. we didn't. But we got to bring it up next time. We've already recorded the interview. I don't know why I'm, like, doing it to the camera. But, You're but I'm turning it out. It's all, of, it's all of the Hollywood acting. Because you can't see a we camera just without about. just staring right at it, can you? You can't. Yeah, you would be terrible on reality TV. I, yes. Act like for the camera's not there. For many reasons. Because I'm not a terrible person. But how Joe Manganiello is a not a terrible person unless he's playing in his D&D campaign, which you'll find out all about in this interview. He can role play a terrible person. Yes. But he's not a terrible person. If, as far as we know. Right. <laughs> and from I'm a pretty good uh, judge of character. That's true. Right? You are. Yeah. You yeah. too. Ryan, you too. No, so not Ryan. That's all coming uh, after uh, the break, uh, the segment that all we're right. going to talk about, uh, which is, uh, I believe, Jeremy Crawford doing some stage advice uh, on the timing of reactions. Very what? important things. Like, when do reactions fire? When do actions fire? When do your ready to action fire? Uh, so we go into depth about that. Also about uh, kind of the philosophy of uh, initiative tracking in 5th edition and all that. So it's a, it's a meaty one. It's a big, meaty 35-minute segment, so we'll get to that also. I was going to make a joke. But before we get to that joke. (laughs) I'm not doing it. We will uh, talk to you about some things that we got coming down the pipe. Okay. What do we got? Do you have anything going down the pipe? I do, but I can't say it yet. She's doing lots of playtesting. That's all I want to say. so fun. And it's kind of amazing. Uh, you'll f- find out about that at some point in mm-hmm. the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're going to love it. Shelly's like, <laughs> I want to talk <laughs> about it right now. Very excited, very excited. Oh, my God. Um, but Tales from the Yawning Portal is yes. coming out very soon. Yes. Uh, it's April 4th is the wide release. It'll be in game stores, uh, I believe, March 24th before that. Uh, and uh, it's it's all a bunch of uh, adventures put together that have not been published yet for 5th edition. Some classics like Tomb of Horrors, uh, White Plume Mountain, Awesome. Hidden Shrine of Tomoe Chan. Yes. Big heavy hitters. Classics. Classics. Awesome. Yeah, so that'll be really fun, and it's all put together under the guise of uh, stories told at the Yawning Portal Tavern in Waterdeep. I love it. Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. Um, and uh, what else do we have going on? Of course, Storm, King, Stink, Storm King's Thunder yep. is an adventure that's still out there. I'm yep. hearing more and more people are just like, oh, I'm just starting that now. Uh, so that is something that uh, we want to make sure you guys are aware of. All of our stories, they're timeless. Yep. You can really just you get into them anytime. whenever. And they're long, so we realize that people don't necessarily uh, are able to get all the way they're through They're probably them. just finishing the previous one. Yeah, Curse or of Stride, too. Curse of Stride. And it's hard because we work so far ahead. It's hard to remember what's happening right now. It's true. Yeah. It's it's part of being a uh, time-traveling podcast yeah. hosts that uh, we are. And you know I'm not good at the time travel. <laughs> I mean, even I time zones are time hard, travel. right? Well, I did miss my flight in Salt Lake City because I didn't realize I was an hour ahead. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I really can't do time zones either. No, time zones are hard. They really are. And, and it's the worst when some countries do daylight savings time at different times now. So yeah. you're, like, all messed up. Yeah. 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 And no Fitbits good. don't um, change 
when you're so well, that's it, silly. Why don't they do that? They don't know. Well, that's and I kept looking at my Fitbit like I have so much time. This is so weird. Oh. Anyway, different story, different day. Right, you should have just cast. Really mad about cast that. some spells to time warp. I should have. Yeah, or do the dance. I cast burst out crying <laughs> <laughs> and managed to get a hotel room that yeah. night. <laughs> Create food and water. I did. Cheers. I got, and I got vouchers. Yeah, so oh, it did work. Good mm-hmm. for you. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, all right. Well, we are uh, excited for all these great D&D things to be wearing. I'll throw it to the segments as quickly as we can yes. so we can get Let's to our meeting interview. Let's listen and hear from Jeremy Crawford. Okay. All right. Welcome to Stage Advice, where Jeremy Crawford, hello, hello, talks about rules and things and clarifies uh, questions that he gets on his Twitter account. We're going to actually pimp you out the last time uh, on your Twitter account and how people can ask more questions. So let's do that up front All this right. time in this uh, segment. Best way to reach me on Twitter is at Jeremy E. Crawford. And if your question is too long to fit in 140 characters on Twitter, then you can reach me at the Sage Advice email address, which is sageadvice at wizards.com. Awesome. But Twitter is the, the preferred way because that way when I answer a person's question, I'm probably answering many other people's question at the same time. True. And you can also check out uh, a column that's on uh, DungeonsandDragons.com as well as Dragon Plus, uh, our app that's on Android. Uh, iOS and on the web. For for right now, the Sage of Ice column is on hold because we're we've been uh, going wild with Unearthed Arcana. Right, uh, and that's part of the reason why we have this segment on the podcast to be able to talk through some of those things and uh, get it in a little bit of a different format. Uh, and so, a lot of the emails and stuff that you've been getting are uh, uh, in regards to reactions, uh, how people are able to, uh, or characters are able to. Uh, uh, take actions that are not necessarily on their turn uh, and or holding actions. Is that something we should cover on this as well? Uh, I can talk about that. Yeah. 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 Um, probably the biggest question that comes up about reactions is uh, their timing. Uh, when does the reaction take place? Mm-hmm. Uh, because unlike your regular action, a reaction uh, can take place on somebody else's turn. Although it something people often don't realize is a reaction could even take place on your own turn. Mm. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, see, there, this, yeah. Is why we, this is why we do this segment. Yeah. Because um, uh, what's key for every reaction is its trigger. Every reaction has some trigger that basically tells you, here's when I can happen. And then the reaction basically, you know, if we think of D&D as a play that you're watching, the reaction suddenly jumps from, out from, from backstage, <laughs> uh, interrupts the action, something happens, and then the reaction uh, gets off stage. Uh, and that trigger moment, that's what's key to find out when is this reaction uh, going to take place. Mm-hmm. Now, a typical character, especially at first level, can often have uh, very few reaction options. The one reaction option that everybody in D&D has is the opportunity attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opportunity attack has a built-in trigger, which is a enemy of yours leaves your reach and then you get to try to whack them. Uh, so its trigger is enemy tries to leave your reach. Fascinating thing is, to, to go back to that thing I was saying about you could even do this on your own turn. Yeah. If a person somehow is leaving your reach on your turn, you could use your reaction uh, to whack them. Uh, now, does that mean 
movement that is not originated by you? I mean, so so leaving reach, if I move away, mm -hmm. that's not leaving reach. So if you, uh, the person in the case of the opportunity attack, yeah, yes. we'll, we'll wander down the opportunity attack trail. Let's do it. Uh, a person can avoid triggering an opportunity attack from you if they've taken the disengage action or if the way they're leaving your reach does not use their own movement, their own action, or their own reaction. Got it. So if you move away on your turn, they didn't, they didn't move away. They didn't use their move. They didn't use an action. They didn't use a reaction. So you don't get to make an opportunity attack on them. Similarly, if let's say you're a wizard and you cast Thunder Wave on them and hurl them back out of your own reach, you don't get to make an opportunity attack against them. Uh, teleportation also is a specific exception in the rule. Teleportation does not trigger opportunity attacks. If you suddenly blink away, casting something like Misty Step or Dimension Door mm -hmm. or any other teleportation effect, uh, you don't trigger an opportunity attack. You're, you're basically uh, blinking out so quickly, there's no chance for your foe to react. Right. Um, now, the timing. Still, there's a question. When, when in response to that triggering moment, does the opportunity attack take place? Mm -hmm. And here's where we go to the general rule about reaction timing. It's a rule that's given in the Dungeon Master's Guide. Uh, meant to govern all reactions in the game, whether they're reactions given to player characters in the player's handbook or their reactions living in a monster stat block in the monster manual, wherever reaction is, unless it's timing, the timing in its text is specified otherwise, a reaction takes place immediately after its trigger finishes. For okay. example, let's say I had some goofy reaction that was... I get to do, I get to scream for joy as a reaction when I see somebody eat ice cream. So I would get to scream for joy with my reaction when my seeing of you eating ice cream has finished. This is a really ridiculous example. <laughs> but I'm eating ice cream right now just to make oh. sure that, that, that this is triggered correctly. For the sake of people's eardrums, I'm not going to scream for joy. Um, <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Uh, so in the case of the opportunity attack, mm, this ice cream is so good. <laughs> <laughs> the opportunity attack ice cream. Uh, its trigger is someone leaving your reach. Now, the general rule says you use your reaction when the trigger finishes. Now, if there were no other text in the opportunity attack rule, you would almost never actually get to take an opportunity attack. Because if you take a reaction after the trigger finishes and the trigger is someone leaves your reach, well, they're now outside your reach. You can't actually make the attack right. against them, which is why the opportunity attack rule makes an exception. This is a theme we come back to often, uh, the exceptions to general rules. Right. The exception the opportunity attack rule specifically makes is that the opportunity attack interrupts the trigger. That's just a way of saying it actually happens uh, while the trigger is taking place, mm -hmm. before, in this case, the person leaves your reach. The rule must be written in this way so that you can actually hit them before they're no longer uh, an, uh, uh, an eligible target for you. Right. Uh, the, uh, and there are other reactions in the game like that 
where they are unaware, like a super reaction, where they have a trigger and they basically like jump on the trigger's toes. It's like, not only am I going to respond to you, I'm actually going to interrupt you. And when I say interrupt, I don't mean stop it. Like mm. the trigger still happens. That person's still moving. But your reaction starts before... Before you, the trigger finishes. Yes. Right. Yeah. It, it is taking place uh, in such a way so that the reaction can even have validity. Right. And these were necessary almost really to kind of model what is the chaos of a battlefield. Like mm-hmm. it's very difficult to, to say, you know, if you watch any action film uh, or, you know, like Braveheart or something like that, like things are happening nonstop and there's death and destruction, blah, blah, blah. And D&D fights are very similar. You know, they really only happen most of the time in, you know, 60 seconds or less. Uh, but we have to kind of take the extrapolated view and kind of model out how each one of them happens so that there are opportunities for, for reactions and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so you can have cinematic moments like another um, iconic reaction in the game is the shield spell mm-hmm. where it'll, it lets the spell caster uh, in response to being hit uh, or in response to magic missile uh, coming at you. Uh, you can suddenly hurl up this it's sort of a force field in front of you and block the hit. Uh, the only way the shield can do its job is if it makes an exception to the reaction rule and actually take place sort of before the trigger is fully resolved. Because mm-hmm. again, general rule is a reaction takes place after its trigger is finished. Well, shield's trigger is you're being hit. Right. But the whole point of shield is you being able to basically turn a hit into a miss. And so the the spell's uh, text specifies that indeed this can happen. It can it can cause the triggering attack to miss you, mm-hmm. or it can cause the magic missiles to fail. Because uh, shield is uh, one of the ways in the game, you can one of the few ways that you can block magic missile, um, which normally you know will strike someone unerringly. Uh, so shield like the opportunity attack, makes an exception to the general rule that it gets to interrupt the action and and really change the course of events. Mm-hmm. That that thing that looked like it might clobber the wizard suddenly missed the wizard. Or And, and, and there are other classes uh, that can also cast um, shield, not just the wizard. Uh, but then many reactions in the game uh, don't have that specific timing uh, information the way the opportunity attack does or the way shield does right um, the sentinel feet lacks this specific type of information uh, the ready action uh, also lacks this specific type of information yeah which means if a reaction lacks that specificity that basically says hey you can interrupt this other thing it means that reaction politely waits for <laughs> its trigger to finish and then it happens. And then it fires. Yeah. Right. Uh, and which means, especially with the ready action, uh, because in addition to the opportunity attack, uh, the ready action is the other way that any character can give themselves a reaction, is you basically trade with the ready action your action on your turn for a reaction at some other point in mm-hmm. the round. Because the ready action doesn't really involve you doing anything mechanically. It's really in the narrative. You're getting ready to do something else. And then what you do is you decide, all right, I'm going to do this thing later in the round after witnessing a particular trigger. 
and it has to be a trigger that you can actually perceive something in the game world. It mm-hmm. can't it can't basically be sort of like a mechanical abstraction. Right. Uh, it has to be perceivable to your character. When Bob rolls a twenty, no. Yeah, can't no, do that's it. yeah, that's that's a great example of the kind of trigger that doesn't work because yeah. your character is not seeing Bob roll a twenty. Exactly. Uh, but your character might see the goblin come around the corner, or might see Bob uh, get set on fire. I mean, you um, could do Bob, uh, Bob's character scoring a critical hit on a... Well, I guess critical hit would be, in that case, would be... I, as a DM, would allow that simply because in the narrative, in the game world, a critical hit is actually a thing. It's a mighty blow. Right. Uh, Which is visible to everybody. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so part of using the ready action is this mini game of wording your trigger because... Uh, you you have you know when you use it okay whatever my trigger is my reaction is only going to fire immediately after that trigger finishes mm-hmm. you know the ready action doesn't get interrupted the way the opportunity attack does or the way the shield spell does the ready action is polite <laughs> wait <laughs> waits for its trigger to finish but clever players realize that if they get very specific uh, with uh, their trigger wording they can emulate an interruption but the key is. It needs to be something perceivable. Right. Uh, that's the, the rule. The rule mentions that. And I bring this up because some people are sometimes will say, "Well, I could cut, tie my trigger to some abstract game state." Mm. Um, but uh, things but, you can do are things like mm. uh, you know, you could say if if the uh, uh, if you see a goblin enter the door, mm-hmm. you could have a thing. But that doesn't necessarily interrupt the goblin's movement going through. So you would. I don't know, as a DM, you probably say that that is, you know, not interrupted. But if you say something like, I see the door move an inch and I start swinging my sword at whatever comes through, that's a, a way that you can word a ready action that we, you know, you, a DM might say, okay, you're, you're able to get an attack off. Right. Or another way of doing it is you could word your trigger um, to be something like, all right, if that guy starts moving, I'm going to attack him. Mm. Uh, so the the trigger is starts moving, right? So you can so you moving. can whack them um, or shoot at them uh, if you're if you're making a ranged attack as soon as their movement starts, uh, which is and then that that is finished. That trigger is finished exactly, even though they're still moving exactly. Whereas if you had said, oh, um, when he moves, then you'd be like, well, he's over there now and behind a tree, and you can't yeah. actually get that attack and, off. And and I don't want to suggest that triggers need to be, you know, kind of painfully specific. Right. Um, it's not like the wish spell. <laughs> <laughs> right. The, wi- the wish spell is actually meant to be uh, kind of like a puzzle in itself yeah. where, uh, where you, you need to use it cleverly. Um, the, the ready action, you know, the rule, it's written assuming that players and DMs are working together to create a fun narrative and that a DM will interpret the trigger uh, in a way that reflects the player's intent. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is not meant to be a place where you know DMs screw over players by like ah 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 you didn't you know word it just right. Right. But at the same time, it's good for players to to think about uh, what it is that's going to cause their character to jump back into action. Mm-hmm. Uh, because when you take the ready action, you're basically you're deciding I'm not going to do anything right now. I'm going to do something later. And what's the thing that's going to cause me to jump back into the action? Right. And I like that it is a uh, a cost to the player. Like you're not able to take an action on your initiative turn, which is the cost. Like you're basically, you know, 
risking the fact that you may not be able to take an action at all for, for that round. Right, because actually if the trigger never happens, you don't take your reaction. Right, exactly. And the reaction is only one action. It is not your full turn. That is Correct, like, right. Um, so, you're, yeah, right, there, there's some cost, but you get the benefit of a situational success. Yeah. Uh, so, right, I don't think many DMs want to take that away because it's a cool part of Dungeons & Dragons. I mean, you're playing, going through, a, I mean, basically many dungeon crawling or things that are uh, 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 about a party who's trying to bust through a specific space in an area. It's all about reactions and how you get the door open and, you know, take out the party of goblins behind them or something like that. Yeah. So you don't want to take that away. But at the same time, I just, I always like that idea of there, it being a trade-off. And, and the, yeah, and that trade-off is very intentional. The, we, we definitely want the player to have to plan ahead and for there to be a risk of the reaction not happening. And part of the reason for that is as cinematic and as dynamic as we want combat to be, D&D is still fundamentally a turn-based game. And... The game would get really bogged down if people could really kind of in an unlimited way be interrupting other people's turns. You could have the whole game, you know, grind mm-hmm. to a halt, you know, combat that might normally take 10 minutes is suddenly taking 60 minutes. Uh, you know, we still want things to be fast yeah. while giving people tactical options and the ability to do surprising things. Uh, that desire to keep things moving is also partly why you can only take uh, one reaction per round because once you've taken a reaction, you can't take another one until the start of your next turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something we want to keep controlled. Uh, that also is a control for how many opportunity attacks you can make since it, it uses your reaction. Once you've used it, no more opportunity attacks this round or any other reaction for that matter. Uh, now, earlier you mentioned holding your action. Right. Uh, you know, can you just... Uh, or just do nothing on your turn at all and maybe take your turn later. Now, first off, to be clear, if even if you take the ready action, you can still move on your turn because the ready action isn't gobbling up your whole turn. It's, it's just gobbling up your action. Right. So you can still move and then you're ready to do something later. Now, holding your turn, I mean, because often when people say, hold, can I hold my action? Really what they mean is, can I hold my turn? Yeah. Can I just act later? Right. In you're up in, in initiative <laughs> order, but you you want something else to occur before you make a decision as to what you're going to do. So that option doesn't actually exist in 5th edition. And uh, we very intentionally don't have it as an option. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we find that the ability uh, to just without limit move your turn around in initiative order ends up causing... And this was something we found in playtests for 5th edition. Yeah. Because we tried uh, having that type of rule. And plus, we had that type of rule in the previous uh, two editions. And so we have, we have a lot of play experience with it. Mm-hmm. What we find happens, uh, particularly in a very tactically-minded group, you can end up with a situation where everything is being metagamed. And everything slows to a halt as people are trying to figure out when is the optimal time for their turn to take place. And you almost, combat can turn into this sort of like game of chicken where it's like, all right, are you going to take your turn yet? No, 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 I'm still waiting. Okay, are you taking your turn yet? No, no, I'm still waiting. Yeah. And we want the action to keep going. And again, it's a turn-based game. Yeah, I don't think, I mean, uh, I... Many times I was playing third edition or fourth edition games, and there would be I'd be holding my action for the third consecutive round, and you're and 
yes, I've had those exact same things. We're like, why, why is this the optimal thing to, for me to do? Right. Uh, so but just by removing the ability to do that, it speeds up play, you, you guys found. Yes, absolutely. And, I mean, uh, in those previous editions, there was a lot of infrastructure in place for that kind of play. Right. So that kind of highly tactical, sometimes meta-style play was not inappropriate uh, because, again, you had additions where uh, there was infrastructure in place to support it. In fifth, the with its more open-ended approach, there's just the game doesn't encourage that type of play as much, and playtesters made it very clear to us that speed of play was a high priority, and yeah. so that was a very high priority for us in our design. And we found that simply taking away the ability to hold your entire turn. It helps speed it up. It not only helps speed up play, but it also in a way reduces the cognitive load for people at the table. Because mm. it means when you get to your turn, you're just thinking about your turn. your turn and not also playing the metagame of, well, but would it be better if my turn took place at some other point? There's another area related to this. Why, why, uh, and now we're really wandering off from reactions, but it is related. No, it's all in the same. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll, I'll actually come back to reactions in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, there's another reason we, we did away with it, and that is you spend the beginning of every D&D combat rolling initiative and with one of the players or the DM recording those initiatives. What we found was bizarre about the ability to just willy-nilly change your turn is in many ways it makes initiative irrelevant. Mm. Uh, it's like, why are we even rolling if we can all just decide when we're going to act? Uh, and, and in fact, some games we played that way <laughs> where it was like, yeah, it, 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 we don't know when things are going to happen, so like, why don't you just go first and go first? And our DM was like, fine, we'll yeah, do it that and way. That, and, that, and that is actually a great way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, but because we were committed to the structure and speed that you can get from a turn-based game, yeah. we wanted initiative to also mean something, and we didn't want the DM or whoever, whoever is at the table responsible for tracking initiative to be put in the bookkeeping role of constantly changing where people are in the initiative order. Because there's an additional speed you get when you know for the entire combat where you are in the turn order. Right. And you don't have that being sort of constantly changed on you of, wait, you know, last round I my character went after Tristan, but now this round I'm going before Tristan. You know, and, and then suddenly, the, again, it's another slowdown. Yeah. So what you can do, though... Uh, and here's where I'll go back to reactions. If it mm-hmm. gets to your turn and you're like, I don't know what to do, uh, you have two great options. One of the best ones, and this is what I often encourage uh, players to do, especially new players, mm-hmm. is dodge. Uh, the dodge action we put in partly as a delay action because what it does is you, you're basically, I'm not, I'm not going to do anything else on my turn except maybe move, and then I'm just going to totally focus on defense. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly everyone attacking you has a disadvantage on their attack rolls. It's awesome. It uh, is especially awesome. if you don't, you're not sure what to do or if things are getting dangerous. Or, or if maybe, you're like an early level wizard or, or you're a more squishy character. You yeah. just want to make sure you don't get hit in your first at battle. Yeah. Right. Just dodge. <laughs> and that's sometimes when I have uh, non-combatant NPCs in a scene. Uh, I will often, as DM, just have them spend most of the combat dodging. Right. Like, trying to move out of the way. They might disengage a few times to not to provoke opportunity attacks, and then the rest of the time they're dodging uh, so they can just try not to get hurt. Mm-hmm. 
The other, the other main option, if, you, if you're not sure what to do on your turn, but you maybe have an inkling of an idea of what you might do, is to take the ready action. Like you're like, well, I'm not sure what to do now, but if X were to happen, then I'll jump in and act using my reaction. Right. And so, so readying, and this is again another reason why we took away the ability to move your whole turn in the initiative order, is you can already get close to that with the ready action. You don't, you don't get to change your initiative or move your movement uh, uh, in its entirety to another turn. Um, but you, you can, can move part of your turn. Right, and you can still think tactically in that manner. You yeah, know, where you're and, and you can even move with uh, your reaction. Because, I mean, one of the options with readying is ready a move, and then you also get your regular move back on your own turn. Mm-hmm. So it's also a way to, it's sort of like dashing, I mean, because you're effectively dashing on somebody else's turn. This is, this is something that just occurred to me in this discussion, but I've never actually used it in, in playing for the edition yet, but would you be able to say, uh, I'm going to take a reaction if I see a spellcaster casting, begin to start casting, that I can duck behind that tree? Yeah, yeah, because you can... So, like, I'm not in cover right now, but mm-hmm. if I, as soon as I see, even if it's, you know, mm-hmm. a, 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 someone pulling on a bow ready yeah. to shoot, I'm going to duck behind. You can so dive you can, behind cover. Interesting. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. a whole tactical wrinkle I haven't really experimented with. And, and I see my players uh, especially resort to that kind of play in uh, D&D scenes that maybe start out as talky scenes, yeah. like a negotiation that suddenly goes bad. Mm-hmm. Often I find those are the types of uh, engagements where the ready action sees a lot of play because people are still not sure what to do. Like, well, we were trying to be friends with these guys. We don't want to go all in on trying to defeat them. Right. Uh, so, But if I see them make their first offensive move, I'm not going to be caught. Doing nothing exactly, and that—that's where the ready action is especially great. Uh, in often in a straight up fight, uh, the things will go just fine if you just use your action to attack or cast a spell or do you know the the most basic combat actions. Yeah. But in those tricksy uh, engagements where you know a negotiation has collapsed or you're in an interesting. Uh, combat environment with like pits or whatnot and maybe you want to wait to try to shove somebody right when they're next to the pit mm-hmm. or you want to pull that lever to open the trap door underneath them as soon as they step on the trap door that's when the ready uh, action is awesome uh, because then it lets you pull off things uh, not on your turn exactly right. uh, or something odd even on your turn right um, this uh, probably one of the most uh, common ways you could end up taking a reaction on your own turn is if let's say you're a wizard and you've decided well I don't want to take the disengage action but I'm right next to this foe I'm going to trigger an opportunity attack but if I move away all right I'm going to move away all right oh this guy took an opportunity attack on me oh and hit I now I'm going to cast shield to try to turn that hit into a miss, and mm. it's my own turn that I use this reaction on. So that's a, that is a, a pretty common way that you can use your reaction on your own turn. Would that also burn your action for that turn? It wouldn't, because the shield spell is a reaction. It's just a reaction, right? Uh, it's the ready action is unusual in that you're sacking your action right. to use a reaction later. 
But then you have things like the opportunity attack or the shield spell and a variety of other effects in the game Mm -hmm. where in a way they're more efficient than the ready action where they have a built-in trigger and they only spend your reaction. The ready action is purpose. We we touched on this earlier. The ready action is purposefully costly because it's open-ended. Yes. You get to make up the trigger, but the cost for that is you're sacrificing your action. Mm -hmm. These other... Um, sort of pre-made reactions with carefully carefully constructed triggers and very specific effects, they don't have that cost. All they cost you is your reaction, uh, and they have the built-in requirement of, well, the trigger has to take place. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, uh, wizards and others with the shield spell, cast it away on your own turn <laughs> if, if someone whacks you with an opportunity attack Good to know. on your turn. Are there any other uh, uh, common questions about the timing of this that come up? Uh, let's see, sometimes people wonder if the word interrupt in the opportunity attack rule means that uh, your target's movement is stopped, and mm. the answer is no. Um, this is a, a great case of sometimes uh, English and, and words having more than one meaning right. uh, being our foe, uh, because in this case, we really just mean that it, the timing of it interrupts the thing not the other meaning of interrupt, which is uh, stopping something. Right, as well as it uh, uh, having a connotation in game design uh, of fantasy games of interrupting a spell being cast right. and things like that. Right. So like, there's a lot of, of baggage that that word comes with. Yeah, and and honestly, I would have picked a different word, and this is one of those, you know, hindsight being 2020, mm. uh, if it had occurred to me that a person would interrupt, uh, would interpret it as as stopping, but it was very easy for us to use that word in the rule because it was a word we used so commonly as a timing word in fourth edition. Right. And so this is, you know, sometimes, again, the, the, the work we do in previous editions can help us. And then sometimes it, yeah. it, it can create blind spots. Well, and I think in this, in this reaction case, I mean, I remember powers and fourth edition had specific triggers was, mm-hmm. in, was in the top part of the of, of, of the spell description as being one of the like okay these are your data points that you need to know right. for this power of the spell yeah. um, and it seems like you're using some of that language as well as like a trigger for mm-hmm. the reaction even though it's not quite overt in uh, uh, some of the spell descriptions in fifth edition it's still that concept of there being there is a, a, a one thing that will make this thing fire and if that you know, condition is is satisfied, then boom, it goes. Yeah, and and absolutely, that is an element in this edition that was carried forward from fourth. So even though it's formatted differently on the page, and often worded in different ways, uh, very much inspired by the work we did on the previous edition. Um, you nice. can't just kind of spun differently. Yeah. I love I love how even just talking through the rules with you, you could still see the the progression of how things have come from, you know, 1974 even as <laughs> to today. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and and this this addition as as probably as long as we we talk about the rules in this podcast, we'll often come back to the fact that it it is this medley of elements from every previous edition. Uh, it's often one of my favorite things is to, well, working on it is to go through and it's like a walk down memory lane. Yeah. Of like, oh yeah, this part's from first edition and this part's from second. I remember you, buddy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, well, since I've been, I've been playing this game since I was, I think, six years old, oh six or seven uh, with first edition. Uh, so, so that was what, 1942? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not quite that old. Oh, no. No, no. Nice. I'm a child of the 70s. <laughs> 
Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeremy. Uh, we talked about at the beginning of the uh, uh, segment about how they can get in touch with you, but uh, why don't you just throw your Twitter handle one more time out uh, there. Again, just... that's at uh, uh, Jeremy E. Crawford. Awesome. Well, get in touch with Jeremy if you have questions. Uh, and of course, if you have any more topics for Sage Advice, let uh, me know. I'm at Greg Tito. Uh, and of course, you can tell Jeremy as well, and he'll just tap me on the shoulder and tell me we got more. <laughs> yeah. More to talk about. All right. Thank you so much. Sure. Always a pleasure. Oh, man. Jeremy just like breaks everything down. Breaks down. Boom. Yeah, and uh, now you know. Uh, I, 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 there was really cool. There were some things in there about like timing and slowing down of combat that I really appreciated. Yeah. Uh, that him and Mike did. He knows his stuff. He really does. Yes. Yeah, I love Very it. Very sagey. You know who else knows his stuff? Mm-mm. Joe Manganiello. You just like saying his name now. I do. Right. Were you nervous? To talk to him? To say the, his name in front of him? No, I wasn't, because I literally did practice all the time, which you'll hear right at the beginning of this interview mm-hmm. as we go Super. and do it. No. Well, thank you so much for joining us on uh, Dragon Top. We are joined by Joe Manganello. Hello. Did I pronounce that right? You did. Yes. I was, I was so practicing. nervous when you started talking. I, I was like, wait, he didn't ask me how to pronounce my name, but you did it. I, did, I, I, I researched. I was in practicing. And word has spread. Thank you. Yeah. I'm glad. I'm that glad to hear that. That actually isn't even cl- how I would have said it. Great. So well, I'm glad. That's why we yeah. let Tito do that. Yeah, I yeah. try. I try. Well, and then Good being, job, Tito. being Italian as well, you know, and kind of. I'm Italian. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, we're all, it's the Italian okay. podcast. But people try to do the Mangia Nello, but it's it's not. It would be M A N G I A. Right. But it's not G A as manga. It's not the soft G. It's the hard G. The hard G. It's a G. Yeah. Yeah. It's You're a OG, G, y'all. Nice. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for coming to uh, uh, the Wizards of the Coast offices to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Thank you. This was a childhood dream come true. Yeah, you were saying you yeah. wanted to go to see the offices at TSR in, in Madison. Yeah, as a kid, I think when I looked at like my skill set as a kid, or like you know when I started, when you're a little kid and you think, oh, what do I want to be when I grow up? Like I wanted to go work at TSR. That's amazing. Um, which I found out was like a decrepit, rotting, <laughs> falling apart building, which I didn't know. But in my brain, I thought. TSR was was like what this is. Yeah, okay, so yeah. it could be like a monolith to, to fantasy. But I guess actually a decrepit old dungeon actually is pretty on works. brand yeah. for, for D&D. They, they probably did that on purpose. Yeah, as a kid, maybe that's cool to think about. But <laughs> as an adult, you're like, I don't, I don't, don't want to work here. I don't want to walk in there, let alone work there, yeah. Nice. But you're so, not disappointed by what you've seen at Wizards. No, it's I insane. always feel bad that people, they want to come here and they want to see it and they probably have an idea of what it looks like. They should come here okay. and get a tour. It is like worth the price of admission. Which um, is pretty which, steep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. By the way, have you yeah. paid yet? Which was like all five years of True Blood money. <laughs> <laughs> but totally worth it. Just to sign in. But totally worth it, yeah. Um, it's amazing. Like, I'm just, my brain's kind of processing all the information and all the things I saw. And, um, you know, we got to game yesterday because it was snowy. Right. Uh, the blizzard. We were supposed to come in yesterday, but because of the blizzard, we couldn't. So Nathan Stewart and Chris Perkins came over to our hotel and we uh, tested oh all day nice so that and was actually kind of awesome how did it go I survived so far but we only did a modified version we really you know 
Anyway. He was but, probably uh, taking it easy. Day he one. was really taking it easy. He did not go meat grinder on us. Nathan was probably like, dude, this is going to show up in your review. <laughs> <laughs> Do not kill Make them. sure they have Don't a good time. Them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that is pretty cool, being able to check out the new campaign from the guy who writes it. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there was actually a moment that if we would have if we would have done something different, basically, like, we saved one of our party members, but, like, if we didn't save him from this thing that I won't give away, um, he would have been stuck and would have actually appeared in the actual module. So he's kind of pissed that, oh. and kind of half pissed that we didn't just leave him there because he would have wound up in, you know, there would have had to be an explanation right. of why this. That's like the, the D&D version of, uh, of like being an extra in the background or something like that. Well, it's kind of, it's like immortality though. Like yeah. you wind up, like you made it, like you're in the module. So, uh, so it was kind of a trade off, but you know, we like him. So, uh, and, and he's a Goliath. Eldritch Knight, so we kind of need him to go in yeah. the rooms first, so uh, we needed to get him out of there. Nice. So you came up here with your with your gaming group, kind of, right? Yeah. Uh, my brother, who is also my producing partner, um, we grew up gaming together, so uh, he came up with me, and then um, a playwright that I went to, I went to Carnegie Mellon uh, Drama School, and he was a graduate playwright, and um, I met Nathan at the Force Gray live uh, at the Egyptian yeah, theater. Talk a little bit about that. You went, you've been yeah. watching all those episodes, right? I heard. Yeah, I watched all the episodes and then I went to see the, the final live uh, version and, and met Nathan there. Right. And um, and then actually pulled Utkarsh into our like our regular game. So, oh, cool. Yeah, oh, Utkarsh he's in is, your regular game? Yeah, Hitch has now joined our, our regular game. Um, oh, and uh, and then uh, I got I was asked to, to do Force Grade Season 2. Sweet. So we're... Are you serious? We're in negotiations. We're yeah. dropping oh. all kinds of oh. like bonds here. So That's look amazing. forward to that. We're, 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 we're trying to work that all out. Um, but it uh, looks like that might happen. As That's a regular exciting. recurring player? I think so. Oh, nice. You know, schedule permitting, but yeah, I think so. Cool. Um, well, let's, uh, I mean, you mentioned that you played uh, with your brother when you were a kid. Yeah. Uh, what, uh, how did that happen? Did he bring it to you? Did you bring it to him? When did that start? Now, I'm the older brother uh, by okay. four and a half years. So I was always into, I mean, like, I remember probably as a little kid, uh, I had those little tiny records that had the little made the little sound to turn the page. Mm, you know, I remember those. It was like beep, and you turn the page. this yeah. chime, turn the page. Yeah. yeah, and I had the Hobbit. And when I was a little kid, I was obsessed with this little Hobbit record, and I like knew that there were books with no pictures that you needed to be a really good reader <laughs> to read. And nice. um, I think when I was about eight, I think second grade, I, I read the Hobbit, and um, and from there. It was like every, everything and anything, dragon fantasy, and that led me to the Red Box. Nice. Um, Frank Mansur's you know, Red Box. Yeah, the Red, Red Box basic uh, set. Um, and um, from there, AD&D, and then um, there was a group of kids in my neighborhood that played uh, Dragonlance AD&D. So I was actually like a Minotaur and Dragonlance AD&D, and then I had all the Endless Quest books. Oh, yeah. And the Crimson Crystal books. And um, awesome. you know, just everything I could I could get that in, in the world of fantasy, I was I was just completely obsessed with. And um, uh, you know, fast forward like many many years, uh, I wind up on a show for five years that was kind of like you know a very big Comic Con favorite. Yeah. And um, and so it um, really kind of you know rekindled all of that 
for me, and then started getting back into uh, to D and D, and then of course, you know, here here we are, Wizards of the Coast. Uh, nice, you know. nice, that's cool. So what was it about? I mean, because I had a very similar story to you, where there was the Hobbit was my in, it was my older brother who we watched the old animated version, the Rankin Bass version. Oh yeah, version. man. Oh. And that with the dwarves singing, and I just yeah. I still to this day will watch it and get like well, jazz. that's that's well, to this day it's. The, it's the best version of The Hobbit. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, no disparaging of anything else. I mean, but but it, it's the best. Yeah, yeah it is. Because well, it captures that like youthful kind of exuberance about it that doesn't really kind of happen. in the, Lord of the Rings is a more adult story, I feel like. And The Hobbit was very... Well, no, no, no I love Lord of the Rings. Me I, too. I mean, that's a masterpiece. But, you know, there was something about the, the cartoon Bilbo where he was, he just kind of like stumbled into these adventures. Like yeah. he wasn't, he wasn't a fighter. He yeah. just kind of stumbled through and... You know, that's right. kind of why Gandalf recruited him. And that was like the the thief. I mean, that ended up being like the, that trope of the the you know burglar. Yeah, go, up, go burgle something. Exactly yeah. right, and that ended up being like in D and D too. Like I love how they inspired each other, and then inspired you to get in, back into D and D. We like, were just talking about the original White Box yeah. uh, set, and I guess like um, they mentioned like Conan and hobbits in the original. So they, oh, yeah. they like there was like a lot of like original printing stuff. And there was stuff Cthulhu and, stuff in there too. Yeah, they didn't have the rights to any of this stuff and they had to like let go of that. But right. but Hobbits originally appeared in, in D&D, which I thought was interesting. It is pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, so so you you got into the Redbox and then uh, what was it like? Did you DM or did did you like how, how did you guys end up playing? Like did you figure it out? Um, I, at first I didn't DM, no. Um, I was just uh, I was a player uh, and um, and uh, but but I think at the beginning when I first got the red box, there just wasn't anybody else around me that I knew that that played or mm. had it. So like they had that like solo adventure in the red box, and I remember like like doing it over and over and over again because it was just me. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and then I found like the endless quest book, so that was that was cool because I could kind of play that by you. myself yep. and. Uh, and then I found the Dragonlance novels and read all of those, like all of them that I could find, which at the time was probably like maybe nine books. And now right. there's like 190 or something crazy. But um, there are quite a few. But yeah. those those yeah. first ones are like the clinicals. Yeah. 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 The first six are like the canon. Right. Um, yeah. The twins ones were my favorite. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Have you ever met Margaret or Tracy? No. But Nathan was saying, like, let's go out to Utah and hang out with Tracy. I'm like, all right. cool. OK. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Tracy and that Chris Perkins awesome. worked together a lot on uh, the Curse of Strahd yeah. story, which is so oh, we had the, him on the podcast, and it was I ha- I kind of had my geek out moment of being like, oh my gosh, you wrote the Dragonlance novels. <laughs> well, I want to go on Halloween because I guess Tracy, Tracy, Tracy DMs the, yeah. the Strahd every oh. Halloween, yeah. which I think would be kind of fun. Yeah, and so it was cool for for Perkins to go back and like mine his and be like, all right, if you could do it now, what would you change based on all of those games that they played over the years? So, Interesting. Yeah. I'd be curious to see what he would say because those books came out of them just recording yeah. the games at the beginning or the adventures at the beginning, right? The Dragonlance books. So they read like there's a lot of questing. Yeah, you know, in the books, which isn't necessarily conducive to like, you know, like a film or like a you know a long form narrative because there's just you know it's. Go from here and go from there. Why? Because the dungeon master said, and they're leading you this way. Right. So, um, but but the legends books that 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 twins trilogy, I mean, there's like some some Shakespearean elements. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, time like, travel. I mean, you know. Yeah. yeah, and then just the contrast of the the two brothers and how you know. Right. Yes, I just love it. Yeah, yeah, it's great. I love those, <laughs> I love those books. Yeah, I love them. That's awesome. Cool. Well, so you mentioned you went to Carnegie Mellon, and yeah. I don't know if you know this, but me and Shelly both went to uh, theater school. I was just going to say. You did? You're in, yeah, we're theater people. Where did you, where did you, where did you? I went to the University where of Connecticut. Where can I see you on stage? Yeah. <laughs> 
right now, this right is what now. we do. Like you, our dream All was to work at D and D. Right. Has yeah. led to this. Yeah. yeah. I went to Ithaca College. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Nice. Very yeah. nice. Oh yeah. All right. So, so next time you do a, a table read, you know, think about us. That's true. Right. We could do one right here. <laughs> we could probably bring one up here. Yeah. <laughs> nice. We'll That'd do the good. reading. So, um, so did you? Uh, you know, you said you kind of went away from D and D as you were studying mm-hmm. theater and stuff. But did you ever think about? the storytelling kind of narrative elements that you did uh, playing when you were doing theater? Um, well, sort of. I mean, I mean, I guess, I guess when you're, you know, when you're, when you go to school for acting, it's, it's um, probably similar to, to being a player, you know, where, um, you know, you're, you're a character in somebody else's story. Right. Um, but um, I think, you know, through producing and directing, that's very much like game mastering. I mean, as yeah. a kid, and, and it seems like, Every time I turn a corner, I run into another really, really big film director who started their career as a kid, kind of producing and directing with tabletop games. That's so crazy. Because we hear that you know, a lot, actually. You don't need a budget. I mean, it's like you don't need $250 million to make your movie. As a kid, you just needed yep. a pad and a pencil and an imagination. My imagination. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, for me, I think that's probably where it all where it all started and, and kind of where I got the, you know, the love for storytelling and character building. And, you know, I loved uh, I read all those books um, voraciously and um, and uh, and drew the characters and painted paintings of the characters and wrote their backgrounds oh, no really? and everything, which, you know, oh, kind do of you still is, have that stuff. I do. Oh, my actually, gosh. I do. I have them. I would all. love to like see the, that. The yeah. characters that you played. Uh, well, and or then and then when I started game mastering, I have all of the um, like all of the player characters. Like I would make like big group, like group shots of like with really? all the characters in them. Yeah, that's awesome. I would love to see that. Yeah, yeah. I have them. Yeah, so that's I should have brought them. Yeah, I'll bring them next time. Next time. Yeah, for sure. So when so you said you made the transition to game mastering. When, what was that like? When did you do that? Um, probably. Let's see, there was um, every summer we uh, my well my family's from New England. And so every, every summer, uh, every summer, my, uh, <laughs> we would uh, we would spend um, like this whole summer, like a couple months, on this island in Casco Bay, right off the coast of Portland, Maine, mm-hmm. um, called uh, Peaks Island. And there was a group of kids that were like avid role players on this island. So like I went from kind of like you know reading all these books by myself, like doing the Red Box Adventure by myself, and then I wound up. Um, with this group of kids, there were like eight kids, and they were just crazy about role playing and comic books and um, and. Oh, you found your people! I know. That's I was so on, cool. like, I remember being That's on like so a, like a ferry boat, you know, <laughs> going to the island, and my the I, island of role players. My, yeah, pretty much, yeah. My, <laughs> yeah. my <laughs> the island of misfit toys. Uh, <laughs> my aunt introduced me to, um, you know, to. You know, like I guess her friend. She was friends with this woman on the island who had all these kids, and they were just coming back from this comic book store. And I remember it vividly because they, I was like, oh, what'd you buy at the store? And they were like, oh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And oh. they had all these original Ninja Turtle comics, like the first Eastman Laird, like that first run. That's cool. And Back um, when they had like one color. They didn't have four different colors on their bandanas, that kind of thing. Exactly. Well, interesting was- side note. Um, I became friends with Kevin Symbita, who... Um, actually licensed the Ninja Turtles and turned them into the original Ninja Turtle role-playing game. Right. And there's a kind of an iconic painting that was the cover of the original Ninja Turtle role-playing game. Mm. And it was like, you know, the four turtles and then, um, you know, like Shredder and Splinter and whatever. And um, I wound up buying that painting. 
No from way. Me. He sold the painting to me. That's oh crazy. So I have the actual original watercolor, which legend has it is the first time the Ninja Turtles were ever painted or depicted uh, in color. Oh. And they all. Because it was a black and white comic. It was wasn't all it? black and white, and it was 1985. Kevin Eastman uh, made this painting, and all the turtles had red headbands. <gasps> that's awesome. And it's hanging in my office. That's cool. Yeah, that's good inspiration. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's kind of what got me into it, and then I, I just like I really dove into the rules and um, and just started, you know, I started uh, game mastering from then. I started just building out worlds and nice. Adventures. So you did homebrews and stuff, and kind of, you know, did you take inspiration from Tolkien or my own my whole own thing? Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, just tons and tons and tons. And you of still have all of that stuff. Unfortunately, no. I think all those notebooks are gone because oh, I had all shit. these like NPC tables and characters. And, yeah. I mean, I just it, would, it just went on and on and on. And I, I don't know. I think all that stuff probably got thrown away. But I have the original books. Like I was telling them, I have the original um, deities and demigods. Oh, that one. That yeah. was pulled because it had the two chapters that they didn't clear the rights to. Yeah. <laughs> so I have like a lot of the original nice. stuff, you know, laying around. Are those headphones okay? I feel like you're uh, you're pulling on. I'm good. I'm okay. good. I think I'm all right. Okay. I'm gonna. I think that might work. That's okay, a little cool. better. All right, cool. Okay. It's yeah. hard when you have, you know, the high fashion and headphones at the same time. Yeah, Never I don't want to crush my hat. <laughs> so I hear that. I hear just, that. Uh, yeah. That's I'm the downfall. Going. I mean, because I wore a hat for a long time, and I was always like, I don't want to take it off in any situation. No, yeah. not with that. Yeah, it would be weird. It would, like, bend this up, and, yeah, yeah it would be strange. I hear you. Yeah. So, uh, so you mentioned True Blood, uh, and mm. I remember hearing uh, some, some rumors, uh, rumors from the cast that you guys played some D&D together. Is that true? Uh, I didn't, but I think that's Deborah and Wall, okay. right? Like, I oh, think yeah. Deborah made people play with her or got people to play <laughs> so with her. So you didn't get to play with her then? <laughs> well, Deborah and I were never really on the same show. Oh. So True Blood, every, every episode had like, a, 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 like, there were like 80 speaking roles. Right. right, it was big. And I was on like the werewolf show. Or the like the me and Sookie show. Yeah. And then there was a vampire show. And then there was like this shapeshifter show. And then there was this other human show. So like every kind of there were like four or five different shows within yeah. the show. And so uh, I was on that show for five years. Deborah was on for seven. Um, we never worked together. That's oh, crazy. Wow. I mean, I saw our table reads and I know her really well. Obviously, yeah, but um, but yeah, we never we never worked together. In fact. I, didn't I think that, that might have been the only character I didn't work with, like main. Character. Yeah, because you. I mean, I was I watched the show for a long time too, and I remember I much you started everybody. off being separate, separate, and then you got integrated into more and more of the stories. Mm -hmm. But yeah. it feels like, uh, yeah, I guess you're right. The two of you never really did no. connect. In but any I hear way. she's a big like big time you know player, so yeah. maybe she, she could is. be on Force Gray. We'd love it at some point. We would absolutely love it. Yeah, yeah. I've been trying to get her on the podcast too. Uh, oh. Reaching out to her, I'm and sure uh, she'd come up here. I know because I heard one with her uh, uh, her boyfriend and her talking about her D and D campaign, and it EJ. was like amazing. Yeah. yeah, EJ Scott, right? Yeah, yeah. He, uh, uh, yeah, they. It was funny because it was like almost like a. Uh, opposite thing where he was like tell me about your you know dorky D&D campaign and I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna play but I want to hear about he it he doesn't play no oh, funny. he doesn't I, play no he said he like I, he tried it once he's like yeah, it's not really my thing uh, I think this is what I gleaned all from their podcast I was like god I wanted to talk I want to know about it like tell us yeah, yeah. yeah. all right well next time I run into her I'll tell her let her know I'll, I'll get her up here sweet that'd be awesome yeah yeah because uh, uh yeah you're, and the show itself felt like it drew a lot from uh you know the the same tropes, the same kind of things that D and D does. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, it was. You know, I mean, the, the challenge on that show, which was kind of deceptive, uh, deceptively difficult, was that you know you, you're taking these really fantastical creatures, mm -hmm. um, but but they're not really. They're kind of 
people dealing with very human emotions, very human problems. Right. And so all of that work had to be done to, to ground it in reality. It had to be really, really human. And then on top of that, oh, you're this supernatural creature also. But that was almost like, you know, the icing, but you had to build the, the cake first. So uh, it, was, it was deceptively tricky because, um, you know, you had to like, you had to play all these really human, emotional, crazy moments. There was someone being, you know, murdered on every episode, and yeah. someone's, a lot of you know, uh, you know a, a lot of murder, murder, <laughs> and love triangles, and all of these heavily, heavily dramatic moments that need to be filled, uh, you know, in a in a real, you know, dramatic actor way. But then on top of it, like, oh yeah, right, I'm also this like weird creature, it's right? This abomination. It always reminded me of. I mean, this is why I brought it up is because it reminded me of a D and D campaign because there's those weird, crazy things happening in D and D stories all the time where you, you know, that's you know, the kind of trope of calling people murder hobos that they go around, <laughs> home, you know, they don't have a home, they just go around killing monsters and yeah. reaping the benefits while having. But like, I feel like a good dungeon master really needs to do what you're talking about, which is find the real human yeah. moments. Uh, uh, and that's where the humor uh, around the table come from. And that's where, you know, where the really memorable moments come from when, you know, you're really just slaying monsters. And that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and kind of conversely, like the, the most the trickiest moments are, are those moments when you have to slay monsters because, you know, it's uh, it's usually really, really cold. You're usually outside and um, you're like rolling around in the dirt for, you know, six hours and it's, you know, 20 degrees out in Malibu in December. And, you know, you come home and you've just got dirt in places that you didn't even know you had. <laughs> so um, we're kind of conversely in the game. It's like once you get into the fights, it's like, all right. Yeah, this yeah, is the part I know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what about your game now? You're currently in a campaign right now? Yeah, uh, we're currently playing... Um, our, our, our DM is a, a guy named Charlie Sanders who's come up and actually worked with Nathan. Um, well, he's the writer on Key and Peele, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So Charlie's our, he does like great voices, man. He's awesome. And he's um, kind of created his own, um, you know, his own homebrew. Um, takes place in the city. And uh, I don't want to give too much away, but it's... Um, <laughs> It's kind of like uh, for all the people at home who may be paying attention to your D D campaign. Yeah, right? I, don't, I don't want anybody like you know fighting Charlie's uh, ideas here. But no, but uh, no, but there's this kind of like cityscape um, adventure series that he, that he's working on. I think he's actually looking to build it into a mod module. But um, it's oh, kind cool. of like um, you know like like underworld elements of a city. So oh, cool. it's not you know where I think most adventures are out there being a hero yeah. or trying to do the heroic thing, and this is kind of. The opposite. You're kind of swept up in some, some, uh, some dark stuff. I got a game for you that you're gonna love. It's pretty fun. So, nice. um, so yeah, we've been playing that, but uh, we took some time out last year to uh, do Tomb of Horrors. Nice. Uh, Charlie got Charlie got the well, he got the five E edition. Oh, and so we did the five E uh, Tomb of Horrors, and uh, and I made it. Like I survived. You did. I survived. Yeah, I think I, mean, I want to make T-shirts actually. We, I survived the Tomb of Horrors. I survived the Tomb of Horrors. Yeah. And all I got was this. I think we did bumper stickers at one point. This was before I, I got here. I think we did have I Survived Tomb of Horrors bumper stickers. Yeah. yeah. Some people in the, in the parking lot have it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. You can tell, yeah. You can tell I, how I, old yeah, people's cars say. are. Right. Like, their bumpers. Like, that's a third edition bumper sticker. <laughs> you got to update. 15, 16 years. 3.5? Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, you're, you're, what are you playing in that campaign? I am a, uh, I'm a red dragonborn Oathbreaker Paladin. Oh wow! Oh. So, which I like because I'm I'm a little. I think Nathan Nathan was saying that you either build a character that's 
exactly you or you build a character that's the opposite of you right. so you can do all of these illegal things. Yeah. Um, it's better to do it in your D&D game. Yeah, I guess generally. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of why I love acting. I mean, yeah. you know, like if I, you know, if I had to go to trial for all the you know, people I've beat up, murdered, <laughs> killed on screen. I, right. I, I mean, I'd, I'd, never, I'd, I'd right never get now. out. Yeah, yeah, I'd never get out. No. So, um, but uh, yeah, so I'm kind of like, which I, I like that character. I mean, it's it's a, it's a you know a lot of fighting, but um, you know some magic, and then you know you get into those those smites, and then you get into uh, once you get on higher levels, it he turns into like a necromancer. Yeah. So you have these like zombie minions. Around right. you at all but times. they're good zombies because they're uh, they're paladin zombies. Well, no, I'm an evil guy. I'm, oh. I, I worship Tiamat. Oh, I didn't know oh. that. So the, oath, the that Oathbreakers part. and the Dungeon Master guy. Yeah, so he's like I have like you know darkness and hellish rebuke, which I love, and oh, wow. uh, you know, and then when you get up on the higher levels, you get the animate dead, so you can literally murder somebody and raise them and make them do your bidding. Is them. it a full-on evil campaign that you're running? That he's running? Uh, well, it's sort of leaned that way because um, I've um, like I played him lawful good. For th- for the first three levels. Oh really? And then when it was time to make your oath, uh, then I I played him psychotic from then on. Like what I breathe I, br- I breathe fire into a room, full of sleeping goblins and uh, lit them all on and fire. Like I like the way this feels. I've something, never felt so alive. Something inside <laughs> me just came alive. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, but I knew I was going to play him that way. But uh, the challenge was playing him lawful good for like three levels and letting like mm-hmm. I think like you know just recently this gnome slapped me in the face. Oh. And uh, I just about lost my mind. So that's. <laughs> I would do. And I burnt his whole. Team he had like this. He had this character like, did. Not. He had this like bar that he owned, and I just burnt the bar to the ground. <laughs> and all these people started, you know, fighting me in the bar. So we broke a bottle, and I hellish rebuked him in the face and lit him on fire. And, you know, it just turned nice. into this whole craziness where I think the rest of the group was kind of maybe like fifty percent like. All right, dude, come on. Let's leave them alone. <laughs> Stop but the I, destruction. I, I was drinking here, like, man. But I can't. I, I didn't yeah. even finish my beer. He's <laughs> torching <Yeah>. the bars. <laughs> come on. Those can be really fun, though. Like, I did a, a couple of one-offs of a, uh, a city campaign that was a similar yeah. thing. I was like, guys, just make the most despicable characters you can come up with, and we'll work them out. You know, like, yeah. Obviously, I don't think we can do like a, we'll a long out. campaign <laughs> about this, but like, let's try. And there was it was a lot of theater people, so they were like yeah. willing to kind of improv and go with it. And we're just a pretty dark place is pretty quick and, yeah. it, and it ends up being like you know now it's it was one of the I think it was one of like the first or second times I, I dungeon mastered so it was a pretty formative experience for me but yeah. I finally yeah, remember yeah your friends yeah I was like whoa yeah. well, they, went, they went dark fast they went dark yeah no that's me the whole time <laughs> yeah you know like I just tell people like I, I, I don't like loose ends you know like we're gonna let the boatman who gave us a ride here go and I guarantee you, I guarantee you, he's going to come back right. with, like, an army, and they're going to loot us when we come out of this dungeon. So I'm going to kill him right now. Like, I just, I don't even ask them anymore. I don't even tell them. I yeah. just, it's like, so the boatman's like, all right, I'll see you later. And I'm like, like no, I'm already won't. rolling the dice. <laughs> like, so all then, right. <laughs> Shot to the heart. And the DM yeah. says, do you want to, do you want to ask this guy, any, do you want anything before he goes? You're just like, no. No, but I'm, I'm also writing down, like, how many gold pieces they've given the boatman. For like, oh, I'll take you to the other side of the mm-hmm. river for five more gold pieces. And I'm like, all right, I just keep a little note because that's how many gold pieces I'm taking back. Like, th- we're not paying this guy. Like, we're taking it right back when we're done. <laughs> like, you're, you're like an accounting. You're like, oh, yeah, got to like, make sure. And these are for you. Uh, and here's these. I believe these are yours. Nice. Yeah. So I'm like that guy. But which is, you know, good to have around, I guess. But um, 
you know, kind of a, I guess, kind of a pain in the ass when you're trying to get to the next place. Well, that can be. Some yeah. gnome slaps me in the face, but nobody, no gnome is going to slap a dragonborn that's, in the that's face. That's pretty like, bold. I'm sorry. Something was wrong with you that want, gnome. You want bold. Well, I lifted him up too. Somebody was like, "How did he hit your you face?" You lifted him face level. Because I lifted him up, and then I failed an intimidation roll, and he slapped me in the face, and uh, then I just, and then started running away, and so it was the dice's fault. So I blew up his bar. Well, Let's blame the intimidation roll as the problem here. Like, yeah, if you had gotten that intimidation, you probably wouldn't have burned his. Exactly. If he would have done what I told him <laughs> not to do, yeah. No, it's got to learn. Uh, learn. None of this would have happened. Oh, but I'm, hey, man, it's my alignment. I'm just playing my alignment. Right. So. Now, is that like a, uh, you said he played a Minotaur in uh, Dragonlance. Mm-hmm. Was, he, was he a good Minotaur or was he also? He was good. Of, okay. Yeah. When I was younger, I think, <laughs> before the you world were, got to me. Before you, you know? jaded. Right. Yeah. 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 Before Hollywood yeah. warped me. Is yeah, that no. what happens? You hear about that. Does that actually happen? <laughs> you um, dodged a bullet, man. I know, right. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not successful. <laughs> That's uh, the first time I've ever said that. <laughs> no, I think I've, I think I've become a, like a much, much better person, maybe, living in, in L.A. I yeah. think because, um, yeah, I think it forces you to, um, like, figure out really, like, what you stand for because um, there are – there are it is different like I come from Pittsburgh and right. in Pittsburgh like you go to a bar you go to a restaurant somebody talks to you like they generally just want to be your friend right. right like they're just trying to help you they're just trying to hook you up like they're just you know they're, just, they're trying to help you out they're, they're nice people mm-hmm. you go to LA and, and it's different right you know there's it's like there really is that kind of like agenda that I think that people have and, yeah. and um and so that was a big adjustment where you realize wow these people that person does want to be my friend. That person wants to get me in a really weird situation and then try to take advantage of me in some way. And, right. Um, and so there's a lot of desperation. I think a sick, a sick desperation to it. Um, but luckily for me, like I have great friends and I've got the best wife in the world. And you know, my brother. You know, I work with my brother. And you know, the other guy who came up uh, to game with us is is my my trainer of the past seven years, Ron Matthews, oh, no who I started training with for. Uh, for True Blood all the way through all five years and then the Magic Mike movies and Sabotage and now we're training for Batman and yeah. you know so he's uh, and he's like an avid gamer like D&D guy um, you know Dragonlance guy growing up and, Did you know um, that before you started working no. with him? I had no idea because you know when, like we were training I think last year and yeah, I'd known Ron for years, and Ron was like, oh, yeah. He's like, what'd you do this week? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I started playing D&D with this you know, new group, and he was like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, I'm D&D. He's like, could I play? And I'm like, Aww. sure. I'm like, you like D&D? He's like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? And, you know, it turns out, like, he's read every single Aww. fantasy novel ever oh ever written. And, 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 like, mind you, like, while you're trying to picture what Ron looks like, I mean, you can look him up online, but, like, he won the CrossFit Games this year. Like, really? he won 45 and over CrossFit. He just defended his title successfully at this competition called Wadapalooza. He's 6'2", 240 pounds. He's built, like... A refrigerator, like you know, like I mean, he's just this massive muscle. Pure muscle. Yeah, and like the biggest D and D head you'd ever meet in your life. I love that. I do yeah. too. I know so. breaking. I mean, because I feel the like stereotype. yeah. I mean, in the eighties and seventies, there was always this like you know weird stigma are so about stupid, it. They like, are to me, you know. Like I never got that because here's the thing: in today's world, that's what I kind of that's what I really dig. I think about what's going on right now mm. in entertainment is that we finally have the money to do these films right we finally have the budget or the technology right to do these films right so you're seeing you know like i was trying to explain to my wife she's like well what's dungeons and dragons and i was like well <laughs> i have a book for her too but i was she like wrote it. i was yeah. like you you've seen like 
Lord of the Rings, right? She's like, oh, of course, they're amazing. I'm like, that's Dungeons and Dragons. I'm like, we watch Game of Thrones every right? Sunday, right? Oh and she's like, oh my God, I love it. I'm like, that's Dungeons and Dragons. That sounds like your campaign you're in right now is like Littlefinger and like King's Landing. It's, like it's that very of, much. Yeah. Very much. So yeah. like, that's that must be. And I'm like the mountain. She must get it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the muscle that comes. Yeah. Kill him. Uh, so then, yeah, then did she get it? Did she understand after that? Yeah, but like, it's funny. She'll say to me like, you know, like, oh, she's like, oh, how'd it go? I'm like, oh, it was so fun. Oh, my God, it's super fun. She's like, well, did you win? Yeah. And I'm like, well, I didn't die. <laughs> so I guess. Wait, it's still right. playing? It's yeah. still going? Yeah. People yeah. just have a hard time with that. Like, understand. Like, it just keeps going. It's a campaign. You can, you know, you can keep. It's a never-ending yeah. story. It's a never-ending yeah. story. Yeah. 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 My wife's the same way. When I started playing World of Warcraft, she was like, well, it, 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 does it, it end? Yeah, right. <laughs> Did, are you doing well? I'm like, well, yeah. I'm like, level this, and I'm getting better, and I'm doing this. She's like, does it end? I'm like, nope. Never. Nope. Right. It's going to go on forever. As long as they make money from it, it's right. going to keep going. But like Witcher 3. Like, she saw yeah. me play Witcher 3 last year. Right. And um, and and she knows, like, there's an end. You know what I mean? So it's like she kind of gets, like, what that's about. You know, like, kind of. And I'm like, well, it's that, but it's infinite. Yeah. So you can do anything you want. But even just like Witcher 3, yeah. like that's one story in the right. Witcher world, right? So like right. you could have sequels and stuff sure. like that. And that's similar. D&D &D sure. campaigns, I mean, I've tried to explain it to my wife too, and it's a similar thing where it's like, yeah, well, I mean, that story may end or it may resolve or those characters might have a, a, a good finality to it, right. but then you want to start again and do something else in a right. new world, right? And this is like what we had as kids before right. video games like that mm -hmm. or sure. before movies like that. Like we had these games. and um, But the thing about it is that like it is infinite, it because is. The, even a video game has, is finite. There's there are walls right. around right. it. This is like there's nothing. Like if I do this, well, I could you know, that's kind of the fun of it is that it can go in, you know any number of ways, and you've got kind of a human CPU running the game, so they can be permeable and bendable and go with you. Right. Which is amazing. I mean, it's that's what makes D and D special. Is that it can it's storytelling forever. Like yeah. it's, it's an engine for storytelling. And what creative person wouldn't Love this, you I know? know, and I, know. I mean that's to me. Like I'm, I feel so lucky that I grew up with it because mm -hmm. it really did set the table for, you know, a lot of the acting that I've done and 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 some of the characters that a lot of the characters that I played. I mean, it really teaches you as a kid how to build a character, which is kind of when you get to drama school, they're teaching you the same thing. Well, you need to write your backstory. Yeah. Oh, well, I, know. Yeah. I got it. Right? And here's yeah. my. Painting and here's my mini and here's yeah. I can do all of that. Totally. Yeah. Uh, have you watched? Have you guys? I'm. Mean, this is totally kind of a tangent, but not really. Uh, the This Is Us. Have you been watching oh, that show? I love this that is show. Us, it's set in Pittsburgh, right? I know. I haven't. And people keep talking. That's like the hot. Yeah. show that people keep talking really about yeah. right now. But I just, I just watched an episode, we're binging it right now, my yeah. wife and I, but we just watched one where the guy uh, has like his painting for his character. Like He gets a script and he like, makes a painting, and he like describes what it was about, but it was, I mean, they don't mention D&D &D in it at all, but that's where my mind, mind went to first. Right. It was like, oh yeah, this is basically like the character breakdown and how he goes through it, and it's, a lot of theater schools teach that kind of stuff, but Completely. I mean, we have all those skills from loving to put together a character sheet and there's yeah. numbers associated with it but you can associate whatever you want with with different qualities and, and sure like and here's your alignment which means yeah. you have to make choices based on a person yep. who would do this or do that and you know right. like oh i played a good guy and now i'm playing an evil guy and a good guy turned into an evil guy and here's his backstory and here's where he came from and i mean yeah. it's it's all and all that world building is exactly what happens when you write a screenplay for or, sure you know, you're you're producing a show, or you know, for a showrunner, for crying out loud, you know, the Walking Dead showrunner. Yeah. He grew up playing. I mean, of course. I mean, it just teaches you how to build a world out and build characters and, you know, long-term 
you know, storytelling and yeah. character development. And arcs. Seeding, seeding something early on that you're going to reference back to later, like exactly. that kind of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I didn't even think about it. You're going to be playing uh, uh, Deathstroke mm-hmm. in the new Batman, which is a bad guy. Yes. Right. I don't. Yeah. I, I'm not a comic person. Like the one part of of nerddom that I never really got into. So I'm only. Oh, okay. I only learned about it from the movie. I could turn you on to some really good ones that nice. I think you would like. Yeah. But uh, but I even realized your D and D campaign is kind of like research for playing an evil guy a little bit, right? Like you're a little uh, bit. Yeah. To you, to an extent. To an extent. I mean, um, you know, the the character of Deathstroke is is very specific. You know, there's. Um, he's. Uh, b- but I mean, the building of that character is very similar. I mean, there's. I think. You know, looking at someone as evil or a villain is really not accurate because mm. um, they think they're, they think they're the heroes. Well, right, of course. well, they've they been affected. The they've been guys. affected in a certain way, yeah. and I mean, you could look at a character like Batman, for example. Batman had this, uh, you know, this tragedy, this personal tragedy. He lost these loved ones and swore this would never happen to anyone else again, right. and became this vigilante with very questionable tactics at times. Um, you know, on the converse, if you read the comic books, uh, Deathstroke is a character that's not dissimilar to that mm-hmm. origin story. He lost a loved one and was, a, you know, and um, rather than swearing it would never happen to anyone again, there was like a bit of like numbness, I think, or, or, or you know, he kind of, his change was that he became this assassin for hire. Mm. And um, wound up being fine with just murdering everyone in sight for the right price. Right. So um, you know, there's a very fine line between those two characters, and um, I think if if either one crossed that that line, they would turn into the other very easily. Right. So it's almost this mirror reflection of what you know those choices could have been for Bruce Wayne had he gone a different direction. And I think a lot of the, the Christopher Nolan movies, especially, kind of explore like, is he crossing the line? Right. Like, is this actually yeah. too much? Right. Yeah. So you know, in, in my mind, I mean, there's you know, you you could say, oh, Deathstroke's a villain, but I mean, there's there's definitely a way to look at him that way. But there's a way to look at him as, uh, you know, an antihero, right? Or just someone who's figuring things out in his own way or trying to work something out over the course of this two-hour movie. Not unlike a red dragonborn uh, paladin of <laughs> Team Batman, Batman better not slap him. <laughs> yeah. You know what's going to happen? There better not, be, <laughs> better not be a little person that slaps my death stroke in the face and he's going to lose his mind. <laughs> so yeah, how much freedom do you have if you're playing a, a you know, comic book character mm-hmm. that has a backstory that's been told throughout? Like, how much freedom do you have to put your own spin on these characters? Um, that's a good question. I think Thank it's you. probably, you know... <laughs> Level up, Shelley. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's, uh, you know, it, it's case by case. Um, you know, um, in, in, and, you know, the, the real answer is like, you know, we'll see once we get on the ground. Um, but, you know, I'm somebody that likes to start preparing way ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so, you know, I've, I've read almost all the comic books. Um, invo- involve, in involving or? involving him just to get the in, the information out of them, but uh, some of them are useful. Some of them are not going to be useful because ultimately the <clears throat> the script is my right. that's my text, and uh, and I, I have to play that. Um, but like I started katana trading uh, oh, recently, yeah. like live sword trading, and I started meeting with you know various martial arts teachers and discussing with them. Uh, Okay, so, you know, what are like the most offensive 
styles of martial arts. Okay. Ones where you're not waiting for someone to attack you, but ones where you're looking to right. make the attack. And then what are the most deadly ones? Where are the scrolls, you know, the, the ancient, you know, the old Japanese scrolls that have mm. these really deadly techniques you don't teach to the average student off the street? Right. Something that only somebody who would go looking for it that are really, yep. really bad, you know, or, or dangerous, like what are those? Okay, so now what are the stances? What are some like really unorthodox stances that someone who learned, say, ninjutsu would stand in? Okay, now what if that person lost an eye? <laughs> if that person lost an eye, how would they then change, alter the stance so that you would have a better peripheral vision? What would that look like? You know, and so then you start cooking, and yeah. then you start building a story kind of, I guess, outside in. That's like a very physical way to build the story. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, on the other side of it, um, like I said, I mean, I'm looking at the script cool. rather than the comic books. I mean, the comic books are giving me a good general kind of area of what we're talking about, of where this character is located, but the script is really like, you know, because they might change the canon, they mm -hmm. might, you know, there's there's been, I think, like three or four different waves that he's lost his eye. Okay, well, which one, <laughs> you know, are we doing one of those or are we doing a completely new way? Like, right. I need to play that. Um, so That's um, interesting. Yeah. yeah that's cool. So what's been like actually training with live steel? Has it been like oh, nerve-wracking or, or? No, it's great. I yeah. love it. Yeah, I love it. I so love yeah, that I, stuff. I would be so nervous that I'd be like stuff. slicing myself or something. Yeah. I, I guess obviously they're not they're good, sharp. They're good instructors. No, okay. they're sharp. They're yeah? live sharp swords. No, really? I, I mean, I, they have, um, you know, these reeds and, and sometimes even bamboo in the center of um, – these reeds that they soak for a couple of days. Okay. And when they dry out, they uh, they kind of have the consistency of, uh, it simulates this consistency of a neck okay. or a limb. And they set them up and you practice with the live swords of your cutting technique. Slashing on them. Yeah, oh my slashing God. and then you have to switch your footing and go from the other side. And then you have to kind of get it out of your mind, this idea that strength is what's going to cut this thing, mm. that it's really uh, like a focusing of the energy and like a, you know, a quick, you know, like a like a flick, Ooh. you know, uh, and once you do that, then you start, then you start really cooking, and then you learn the other strokes. Uh, there's you know, upstrokes and downstrokes, and then there's um, even like a cut where you just come straight out of the the sheath or the saya, you know, you just you cut, you know, nice. I mean, you know, right, right as you're coming out. And I feel like you're gaining, and not to you know. <clears throat> bringing this all back to D&D, &D, but I do, I, I, immediately my mind goes to like, oh, how could I use this in the game? Like, like right? Like, you know, a monk, yeah. a monk type character or something that is. Well, look, man, we haven't done a D&D, &D, you know, a real D&D &D movie. So, and, yeah. and I know that that's, you know, it's it's a big dream of mine that, that I would be able to to apply those <laughs> skills in a D&D &D movie. Yeah, you I know, would love A it. really cool one, yeah. yeah. Well, thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us. I feel like we could talk forever, but uh, forever. I didn't even look at the clock. But I assume we're we're way over time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No, I, I I I could I could talk about this all day. Nice. Did Nathan show you the dojo that we have downstairs? So we really do have a dojo. No. You can practice. Are there swords in it? There's foam swords at my desk. <laughs> like Nerf swords. That doesn't count. <laughs> they're better than that. They're oh. they're really very authentic. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And they do hurt. And, you you have get your, it. and your trainer is here, so I mean, yeah, yeah, he is here. Yeah, just jump right in and start. Uh, do you have doing. a two-handed great foam sword? <laughs> We're gonna get one made. A little duct tape. I can work that <laughs> up. <laughs> <All> right, awesome. <laughs> yeah, make some PVC pipe and yeah. uh, get some LARPing swords right. happening. Yeah. I'll go put Somebody. my dragon mask on. and We'll go. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. I'll, I'll swallow yeah. some some 151 with a lighter. <laughs> 
done. We can we can make the D and E movie right now. Yeah, like, yeah. We got all these things we need. Kick those daycare kids out. Move it. Yeah. yeah. We got sword training. <laughs> Sorry, kids. He's gonna burn him all down. Yeah. Don't slap him. Get out of the way. Get out of the way. They're little. They're little people. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, man. It's been great, and I thank can't you. wait to yeah. to talk to you all the time going Thanks. forward. I'll be back. All right. I'll be back. Okay. <laughs> Thanks. What a delightful man. Super delightful. Yeah. He is a man Janello. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure he's never like heard that Tangela? joke before. I'm so glad I didn't uh, uh, do that when why, he was here. Why did you save that one, Tito? I know. You got to keep some in the back pocket God. for the outro. You got to. Yeah. No, yeah. that was super fun. I like, I don't know. I just, he's, if you saw him walking down the street, you would not think he was, if you, you know, aren't up on current trends, right. you might not think he was a D&D player. Right. He super loves D&D. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. And he's been talking about it for such a long time. Yeah. He yeah. threw out so many, uh, uh, like, I was. I didn't even he's the real deal. question his nerddom. It was just like, oh, yeah, of course. It's yeah. all It's all right there. Yep. Top of minds. Top of minds. Yeah. So, it. another good ambassador for the brand. Uh, and just, like, playing. Like, I just love that, too. Like, he's using it for, I mean, he just he kind of hedged away from saying he was using it for research for Deathstroke. But I was like, no, he's kind of totally. He totally. He's like embodying the bad guys. There's things in there that we'll just see. Yeah. But actually, wasn't that interesting though? Like the research that goes into like, how do I stand? How would I stand like this? What if I'm not that good of a person? How do I stand? What if I lost an eye? Yeah. What if I lost this eye? Right. And Come then on. Took, that's so cool. This is how much I don't know about comics, but I was like, what does this eye thing have to do with it? Oh, does Deathstroke only have he, one eye? He lost an eye. I didn't even know that. I'm so not a comics dork. I need to be more. But I get it all from watching the movies of him, so yeah. I'm excited to see. You don't need to be more his tape. Just, like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't need to be more dorky. You don't. Oh, thanks, Shelley. That's coming from. Aaron. I think. Yeah. No, you're you're just the right amount. <laughs> I also didn't get to tell him that my wife calls me a uh, Russian nesting doll of him. He's like, you guys kind of look oh, similar. She did say it's that. It's almost like you could fit inside. <laughs> that that was awesome. Yeah. I did hear her say that. Yeah. Well. Next time he's on, I'll, I'll embarrass myself by mentioning that. Maybe just, you know, like casually yeah. bring that up. By the way, um, could I fit inside you? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure I, I could fit right inside oh, you. Oh, man. Inside no. of you, inside of you, inside Next, we're going to be talking about pegging, and then we'll be in real trouble. Real trouble. Sorry, listeners. Yes. Can we go on record as just saying sorry? We didn't know. Yeah. We did not know. We didn't understand. Somebody Ryan. in this room knew and didn't stop us. Oh, Ryan and knew. He's and he's laughing. Fall out of his oh, chair he's laughing. laughing. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Somebody's just a lot hipper than we are. So I just want to say sorry <laughs> to <laughs> everyone out there who we didn't. Uh, we no. just were innocent little we were flowers. So legitimately talking about pants. <laughs> so awful. All right. Well, I'm glad we got that apology. Uh, me too. At the end of me this too. I actually feel podcast. better. Now I feel a little bit like it's off our chest. Yeah. Me too. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, guys. Uh, you can complain to us about uh, uh, our misuse of terms on Twitter. <laughs> I'm at Greg Tito. I'm at Shelly Moo. And you can find out everything about Dungeons & Dragons at DungeonsDragons.com and also on the Twitters at Wizards underscore D-N-D. Not, not the ant, like the awesome ampersand we have in the room right now, but N-D. The letter. Go check it out. Also on Facebook and everywhere you get awesome podcasts. Yeah. And there'll be more Dragon Talk hopefully next week. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Bye-bye.